Hello and welcome to the Rabbit Hole, the Definitive Developers Podcast in Fantabulous Chelsea, Manhattan. I'm your host, Michael Nunez. Our co-host today, Dave Anderson, and our producer, William Jeffries. And today we'll be talking about client-side caching. Before we begin, I just wanted to point out that Jeffries is doing some recording remotely, flying in the skies. Not not really right now, but he is currently traveling at the moment, and he took some time to meet with us for the podcast. Never lets yeah, down. Hopefully my audio is okay. okay. I'm uh, recording from the lounge in the airport. I'm on like a 10-hour layover right now. <laughs> so nice of you to drop on in. You're probably like dead tired and can't oh i'm super loopy i'm not gonna make it (laughs) oh it's gonna be great audio yes great material (laughs) great great content right here ladies and gentlemen you know please don't sell the lounge for to us it is an executive suite right (laughs) (laughs) yeah dave is as i'm calling him the cash money millionaire because he brought up the topic of wanting to talk about client side caching yeah i have so much cash ka-ching got the ka-ching it's just data um (laughs) let's let's dive right into it so first off what is client side caching why would you why would you do it yeah it's a great question i guess there's there's a lot of different forms of caching caching is like famously one of the two hard problems in computer science right or is it three? I can't. I can never remember. One why. is always naming variables. That one's hard, right? <laughs> and I know off by one errors is one of them, but then I don't remember if there's three, and then there's an off by one error. If there's two, there's an off by one error, which I guess in itself you're is always, an off by one error. You're always off by one, bro. <laughs> right? <laughs> Unless I'm off by you had two. An off by one error in this joke. This yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, my brain's melting. Yeah, but caching. I'm sure it's is the the final one. I'm gonna say. Yeah, so like I'm sure like many people are familiar with like server side caching where you might have a document that you know you access over HTTP and that document doesn't change. So if you have to get it out of the database or do some calculation to get the document like from a REST API, then you might just cache the response. So say like book one is always gonna be book one, so I'm just gonna cache it. Maybe throw it in Redis or something and just send that back on its way every single time. So you get faster response time. So that's server-side. That's server-side caching. For client-side caching, it's a little bit different because server-side caching benefits everybody who accesses the application. Mm -hmm. Client-side caching only benefits the user Mm -hmm. in their browser because it's basically... Same idea, like you're still caching, you're storing a representation of the data, but you're doing it all locally right in the browser memory right so the client-side caching is good for the user who is currently caching the information on their machine right so when like the user gets that book number one resource they could cache that Mm -hmm. in memory and then if you go to another page that has book one then you don't have any load time and that's pretty nice yeah is it resourceful to build one over the other it's a different effort to build one cache versus the other cache, for sure. But like, I mean, if you're going for a good user experience, then client-side caching is a pretty sweet deal. But it's, well, it may reduce your bill as well because like maybe there'll be less requests to the server right? for like redundant data. Another benefit of caching is besides the improved perceived application performance is that if I normalize the data that comes back, like if, you know, some REST APIs aren't like 
pure right. as the definition of a resource. My book might have like nested author information. And, you know, if I'm making changes to that on the client side, like I'm changing who the author is, there might be a lot of different places that that author name could end up in my application. Like, right. especially like, you know, if you have a very complicated page and, you know, you're, it's a huge bookstore that you're managing and, you know, there's a list page and a detail page. And if I update that author name on the detail page, then I'd hope that like it would show up in the list page as well. Right. And it would update accordingly, depending on where you did the update for the author in your example. Right. Yeah, exactly. So if you normalize the cache response, so you break apart all of those little tiny nested pieces into uh, entities, mm-hmm. flatten it out and make note of what the relationships between them are, then you can more easily have those changes to the author name populate in different places. I imagine you've had to do some client-side caching recently, which has brought up the conversation Yeah, I was, as of late. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking a lot more about client-side caching because, I mean, you guys know me. Like, I love... I love GraphQL and, you know. <laughs> oh, well, you hear this is another GraphQL episode. Oh, my episode. God. I was trying to, pulled I was trying to pull a fast one. <laughs> he pulled a fast one off. I'm those. trying not to use Yet the again. word GraphQL, but Yet again. there was. <laughs> yeah, oh. yeah, sure. How many minutes did I make it? <laughs> Probably like five. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> I did my I did my best. It's okay. Uh, but I, you it's know, okay. I was thinking about like you know my different experiences, like right. working with client side cache and these different concepts of like normalization and React and Apollo and GraphQL and how like that kind of is a service that's provided for you. Right. But just because it's provided for you doesn't mean that you get away completely free because you still kind of have to understand what the heck's going on under the hood and it's a right. little bit complicated. Is that in, is that when using Apollo or in general you think? I, I think in general yeah. yeah. Like I mean if you're building this complicated system this data layer to manage your data from the API and you know you have all these like rich interactions that you're doing on it and manipulating the information and it gets pretty hard there's a reason why it's in that uh you know number of hard problems in computers <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's funny i i actually didn't think of apollo at all when you said cache like client side caching i was thinking of like cache control directives e tags and stuff like what you get from the browser oh yeah yeah that's like another thing on top of that even like because you can what like tell the browser hey don't don't refetch this if you know this cache header is still valid yeah you can set like a max age or different directives and then the the browser does a lot of automatic caching for you it just codes everything by an e tag and then even if the cache expires, you can make a request that's abbreviated. The server can respond with a 304 not modified mm. instead of sending over the whole payload again. It's better for bandwidth and data usage. Oh, and it, it does it just like give it a new, much later expiry date with the same information for that cache? If you've set like a like a I don't know a two minute time to live, then it'll have that same. However much you set last time, it'll it'll extend it. 
ah. for that same amount of time. Nice. Yeah, that stuff is is pretty cool and like really important when you have a high traffic website. Like, oh, yeah. you know, you know, New York Times is on top of that. Oh like, yeah, you know, all all those big websites are 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 managing that, especially like with other resources too, like JavaScript bundles mm-hmm. and CSS. Those can be huge, and even like REST resources too, like. If you're like a baller API resource guy, then you know you're all about those cache headers as well as caching the response, like I mentioned earlier on the server side. Shout out to all the cash money millionaires out there saving <laughs> cash <laughs> by using cash. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's really like electricity you're saving. Yeah, you're saving the planet. Oh yeah, by using cash. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> But you know it is. Yeah, it I, mean, is I, I guess Redux is kind of a data cache, right? I mean, data stores in general are kind of caches. Yeah, if you're using a REST API, like you might get the API response and just shove it in Redux, and then you know have it for later. Right. Um, that's like Not the as simplest cool as form. What Apollo does. Yeah, I mean it's kind of neat because like GraphQL has the schema built into it. And so that thing that I was talking about before, like normalizing the API response is something that can be done programmatically because it just knows what the schema looks like. And so it knows that this particular object is this kind of type and it has an ID and then it can just, you know, tear everything apart, normalize it, flatten it out and, um, you know, if you use Apollo DevTools, it's really nice. Like they have a feature where you can actually peek into the cache and see what's going on. Like I, I remember opening up the first time and I was like, oh my God, what is happening right here? It's <laughs> like there's just so much uh, going on. Especially if you have a really big page and there's a lot of objects that you're fetching. Right. They all just get shoved in there right. like one level. Whoa. It's like, you know, every file on your computer in one directory or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it is it is a little intimidating. And you can't really change it, which is kind of surprising. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can, you can use the cache API to read from it, like read a fragment and then write back. So that's like definitely doable. But, you just you can't know, do it from the dev tools. Yeah, dev tools don't provide that. That sounds like it would be a, a pretty dope feature, though. Yeah, I was thinking about requesting that. (laughs) (laughs) Just to be able to like poke around with the page. I guess like you can do that with React DevTools though, if if you want it to be uh, creative. My use case for it is like the actual server, the local development server is down or, you know, busted in some annoying way that I don't want to go and fix. And, you know, I'm working on a feature and I want to be able to just have the expected response in cache be right or have whatever the change is that I'm expecting and then not have to have the server online at all. Oh, okay. Just mock it out. Yeah. Maybe that's an abuse of the cache. Cache abuse. <laughs> I mean, there, there are some tools out there that let you like... I guess they're still servers there. They're just like mock servers. So Yeah. No. Well, that'd be really interesting for client side. I just had a thought. Like client side caching would definitely help individuals who are running applications on like lambdas. Cause you don't you would rather have all that cached on the client rather than have to constantly hit the lambdas and having to pay for it, I guess. 
Right. I mean, I guess that's a really real cost. There's like, oh my God, like if you call my function, it's going to cost me a hundredth of a penny or something. Like right. don't call my function, please. I mean, but if you hold, if you have a big website and it's serverless, then it's going to cost a lot of money. It's right. better to have it on their end where it's pretty much free, I guess, because they don't need to do that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And like going back to like what William was saying about like cache control headers, like you can kind of there are more tools available to to you to tweak caching with a REST API than with a GraphQL API. So it's it's really nice to have this kind of really robust client side caching, kind of like as a as a trade off. Like you know you don't you don't get this like fine grain control like cache header because you only have one API endpoint and it just always returns crazy stuff like whatever you ask for it just sends back <laughs> oh man but getting that kind of like normalization that gives you that like perceived application formance and like the really smooth like update of data at in different places you know it's it's pretty nice because like that kind of stuff on the client side could be like thousands of lines of yeah code and you know just delete them it's fine Although I hear if you can if you can find a way to make your GraphQL request a GET request instead of POST request and not have that break everything, oh man, then you can get a lot of free caching. Mm. Oh, that's the yeah, the just with the query good, in there. Good old GraphQL yeah. with its POST all the things. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, two hundred errors too, right? Oh man, yeah, <laughs> that that is that sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's okay because it's not. <laughs> so, so don't worry about it. This is fine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I don't know. I, I I think it's kind of interesting also because like although you have like this really powerful tool that like helps you out in a big way, helps you be more productive and gets you further, it can be a bit more mysterious than if you wrote all of those thousands of lines of code because like you're gonna well, maybe it'd be hard to reason about as well, but like it's something that is out in plain sight for you to look at and poke at. Right. I mean, there there are different kinds of bugs that come up related to caching, especially when you start changing data. Like you might like send a request. What kinds of bugs? Like you might send a request like to update that author name, and it just doesn't do anything. Like when the response comes back, so. Apollo provides some tools where you can like tell it, okay, like I just want you to refetch this query when I finish this update operation. Mm-hmm. So it's like the easiest thing you can do is you just give it give it a string with the name of the query and it'll just refetch it. Like it's very simple. Yeah, it sounds very straightforward. Like, hey, I finished this uh, action, refetch the thing, that thing that I'm telling you to refetch and that's it and it just right and like you know you do the same thing with rest apis too like you like do the action and it's like just blow everything away and start over again just refetch it put it in there and we'll see where everything lies right you can also write like a update function which takes the mutation response and figures out a way to read the data out of the cache make some change with the response and then write it back in but it does feel kind of like open heart surgery. Like it feels like, you know, you're you're doing something that's like a little 
risky. Yeah, it sounds like magic at first, but now it's like black magic. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And I mean, you can you can do that too with normalized cache and redux like you can right. you can read the data out like when you get a response from an api write a function that mutates it in some way and writes it back into redux right my favorite option is to just like design the payload of the response in such a way that like the apollo cache is just able to figure out what what happened off oh, the okay because it, it just kind of has some rules of thumb for like how it's going to merge data back into the cache where if you have an ID on the object that you sent back and the type name, which is like always included in Apollo's query by default, then it will be able to match that with whatever is already existing and then merge and update the fields right. that were sent back. So when you do that, then, Hey, then it's uh, it just works. And like, if you, if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. Right. This kind of reminds me of the very header where you specify like what parts of the HTTP request to pay attention to when deciding whether or not you have a cache hit. So uh, how do you use the very header? Like what are the different like parameters that go into it? So you can give it like a comma separated list of all of the header names for the different headers that you want it to cache on. So like user agent, for example, you could say like vary on the user agent. And uh -huh. then that way it will never cache. Well, I mean, I don't know. That one, that one would only make sense from the perspective of like a cache server, like some inter intermediary, I think. is like presumably your browser isn't going to change user agents while you're on a website. That would yeah. Be yeah. <laughs> right. Although, I mean, that, that does happen sometimes Maybe with like, like server-side. Yeah. That does somehow happen sometimes with like server-side caching where the server provides a different asset to you depending on what user agent you're on, which always throws me off, but that, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, I came across this when I was working with Fastly and the Fastly has this caching language called Varnish that allows you to do a lot of crazy, crazy caching stuff. And they make very heavy use of the very header. So I remember, I'm pretty sure that we used user agent at some point for that. But I think in this context, when you're talking about caching for a specific user, you probably would want, you would want something more specific. Right. Like the, I mean, it may be part of like the resource itself. Yeah. You might add your own header. Like you could add a cache, an application specific header just for caching. And then that could be an arbitrary key. It could be whatever you want. Let me cache on that. You know, in your example where you're trying to cache a specific object, you could say, well, you know, I really only care about the object's ID. So if it's got that same ID, cache it. Or maybe you care about not just the ID, but also a couple of key parameters. Like if it's an author, you care about the author's name. Right. If it doesn't actually have an ID like built into it and you're trying to work with what you have, you can kind of try to like build a composite key that makes sense. I got to bring it back to GraphQL because like, that's just, you know, that's my MO. That's my thing. <laughs> you do what you love, bro. You yeah. got to do it. Yeah. yeah. And, like, it was a bit challenging to customize like the key that you would use for caching a field in Apollo before the latest version, which is coming out soon, Apollo Client 3.0. They, they now let you define that kind of a custom key based upon different objects. Oh, like nice. if you didn't, if you didn't have an ID, then like it would just kind of 
guess based upon the path to the object. So I'd be like, okay, I know this object's ID and its type name, and then I'll just build a path. So it's like the book, book number one's author zero. Like maybe there's two authors or as many authors. So like there's author zero, author one, like mm -hmm. and it just like does it by position. But, you know, that makes it harder to like work with and all that. It's much easier if you have like a key that makes sense. I mean, there's lots of cool stuff in there like the, that's coming out like garbage collection and um, cache eviction, cache retention. So it's, it's actually getting a lot more mature. What is the current implementation now though? Like, is it just, it, there is no garbage collection? It's just like this all exists on the client? Just let it pile it up forever. Oh man! Yeah, I gotta the, close that browser tab sooner or later. Yeah, Crumbs. like 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 Staten <laughs> Island. It's just a ton of garbage like just sitting on it. <laughs> it's like you wonder what's up with Chrome. Like you know, Wait, so Sarah, like, Cynthia, Sylvia, Stout would not take the garbage out. Oh damn it! Why don't you take the garbage out? <laughs> Get it together. It's a little Shell Silverstein reference. Thank thank you, Apollo Client three for taking out the garbage and managing it. Yeah, I mean, I think I, <laughs> I took out the garbage like basically just by blowing up the cache. Oh, that's how you do it? You just dynamite? <laughs> yeah, just dynamite. Like it's it's not like an elegant tool. Mm. <laughs> well, it's awesome that they this is like a growing growing feature in in Apollo, and they're they're enhancing it so that developers could take advantage of the information being cached on the client side. Mm -hmm. So, do you know when uh when Apollo Client 3.0 is coming out? It says the release ca candidate is October, so I guess whenever they feel like it's good. So I still say that <laughs> coming soon, TM. Right, uh, <laughs> no longer boss moment. I mean, it looks like the release candidate's out right now. They're in beta, so I think whenever they feel like they squash enough of those bugs, oh yeah, it's be out there. I mean, if you're a developer who's brave enough to use the release version to figure out how garbage being collected. Be really interesting. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully it's not trash. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the, the trash all of Apollo client through. I highly doubt it. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of developers and engineers are using it right now, and yeah. it's the hot stuff. <laughs> I mean, it's with GraphQL. William, he got us again to talk about GraphQL. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, once again, strikes. Oh, Looking forward to that. See how that changes developers and and further pushing forward the client cash initiative for all the <laughs> cash money millionaires out there. Well, speaking of cash key eviction, I think I may be about to get evicted from this recording area. Uh oh. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Don't miss don't miss your flight. You don't want to be yeah. trapped in New Delhi. Yeah. Yeah. They're also. I don't actually have a recording studio here it is literally just a section of the lounge that is normally closed off until after breakfast there you go and it's after breakfast uh -oh. <laughs> get the awesome. heck out of here awesome. <laughs> yeah it looks like you're getting evicted yourself yeah. go eat idly yeah <laughs> yeah man enjoy the indian food for us sounds good follow us now on twitter at radio free rabbit so we can keep the conversation going like what you hear Give us a five-star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now however you listen to your favorite podcast. On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and my amazing co-host, Dave Anderson, and me, your host, Michael Nunez, thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole.